Podcast. I'm Anthony King. Who are you people? Hi, I'm Kristen Lipscomb. And I'm Vinny Cicari. Uh, we are going to dive back into the cult movie stars book from the one and only Danny Perry, uh, which is why this podcast exists. We love Danny Perry uh, around this uh, part of the world, and uh, we normally talk about movies from his cult movies books, but every now and then the three of us get together and we're going to talk about a specific star that Danny wrote about in his cult movie stars book. And uh, this is volume two. And I'm going to turn over to Kristen to introduce who we're talking about and maybe read a little bit of what Danny has to say about this person. Yes. So today we're talking about Paula Prentice and I'm going to read Danny's little excerpt um from his book and i just want to give a heads up this involves a spoiler about the stepford wives so look out (laughs) um paula prentice tall talented texas-born brunette made her film debut in where the boys are as a witty husband chasing college student she lassoed jim hutton who would be her frequent and best screen partner trading quips with various leading men in her comedies she'd play other funny, intelligent, aggressive females whose idea of happiness is to be married and have kids. They are threats to the freedom of wary males, but win them just the same, throwing them off guard with their openness and delighting them with their personalities. Strong women, they aren't intimidated by strong women, they aren't intimidated by soldiers, sailors, cops, or gangsters. But her funniest, pushiest character snares timid Rock Hudson posing as a sportsman in the screwball comedy Man's Favorite Sport. In the early (laughs) 70s, Paula Prentice became more sexual on screen, even doing nudity. In the parallax view, the usually funny actress became dead serious, a murder victim in a political conspiracy. She is remembered for her convincing performance in the otherwise disappointing satire The Stepford Wives, as a feminist who, as Catherine Ross discovers one day, is replaced by a lookalike android designed for male pleasure. In real life, Prentice is married to Richard Benjamin, who was her co-star in the short-lived TV comedy series He and She, one of the only showcases for her sophisticated comedy talents. Uh, I disagree with that one of, I think she has many showcases for her comedy talents uh okay so what what we do here one of us picks a star and then the other two pick a movie from that star's filmography and this time Vinny got to pick the star and you went with paula prentice Vinny. why uh so there's a film called move uh from 1970 starring elliot gould and it's also stars Paul Apprentice and if you've ever seen this movie you absolutely fall in love with Paul Apprentice in this movie and so I've been in love with her now for a few years and I just wanted to talk about her and she has a she has a small filmography and I think she did a lot of different movies but she's never bad in any of them in my opinion so just wanted to shine a light on someone that I am personally a huge fan of that is easily accessible because it's not a huge filmography. I think anyone can really find something from it. Yeah, I agree. I I had seen a couple movies, and of course I, I knew 
her name. And later on in uh, cult movies, we will get to where the boys are because it's in the third book. Um, but it, I had watched a handful of her movies. I don't know, six or seven. And so like, I don't know, today, Vinny, you posted something. There was like a Twitter prompt and it was like your letterbox stats for the year up to this date. And, and one of the things you do is the, um, you know, your most watched actors. And Paula mm-hmm. is my number two because yeah, I just I, wa- I watched a shitload of her movies. And then Daniel Epler was like, oh, Paula Prentice, nice. And uh, so here you go, Daniel. We're going to talk about Paula here. And I got to say, man, like maybe maybe my favorite actress, female actor, she is so goddamn funny and unique. Uh, but uh, before we get into uh, her filmography and these two movies we're going to talk about, uh, as a tribute to Mike McBeardo McPadden and Aaron Lee and uh, their podcast, Crackpot Cinema, uh, I thought it'd be fun to do our own sort of rating system like those guys did. And uh, I, Kristen, you have you have a suggestion for a rating. I'd love to hear it. Oh, God. Be proud. <laughs> Loud and proud. <laughs> there we go. It's rough. Okay, <laughs> I came up with thumbs Paul up or thumbs Paul down. <laughs> That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> That's good. That's good. A week. It's not good. It took you a week. <laughs> uh, when when we decided on Paula, or when Vinny, you picked Paula, I had one come into my head right away. But as I was sitting here uh, waiting to <laughs> record with you guys, I wrote down two others. So I have All three. Right. I want to run past you. So the first one that had been living in my head since the beginning is PP, Paula Prentice, or Poo Poo. Wait, is PP good? PP's good, I guess. PP is good. It's, yeah, P period, P period. And then poo poo, P O. Anyways. Uh, and these are all, Aaron always did a shit joke uh, for his rating system. So I don't know why, but that's what happened here with all three of these. All right, my next one is Natasha from Black Marble or Natasha. <laughs> Mine's looking better and better, honestly. <laughs> See, you don't have to be embarrassed about it. And then my third one is it's a bit of a stretch here, but um Stepford Thrives or <laughs> Shit Lord Hives. So that's what I, I got. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't come up with any. <laughs> Or do you feel embarrassed for me, Vinny? Is that what you're saying? It, it's, it's, you know, <laughs> empty. All right, so let's go with Kristen's. Obvi. <laughs> uh, thumbs Paul up, thumbs Paul down. Um, all right, let me run down to some films here before we get to Kristen's pick. Um, so she starts acting in films and TV in 1960. In 1961, she marries Richard Benjamin. So she makes her debut, like Danny said, with Where the Boys Are. Really fun kind of beach movie, you know, shag the movie before shag the movie type of thing. Uh, In 61, she's in The Honeymoon Machine with Steve McQueen. 
She's in th- that same year with Bob Hope in Bachelor in Paradise. And then 64, uh, my favorite of her films, Man's Favorite Sport that Danny was talking about with Rock, Rock Hudson. And as of right now, May 3rd, Man's Favorite Sport is my favorite discovery of the year. I freaking loved this one. Did you guys see it? Have you guys seen it all? I don't think I've seen it, no. It's incredibly charming. Rock Hudson is so funny in it. Um, and then it's this is the one. This was the first one of her, like when I was watching a chunk of her films, the first one I watched, and she is so freaking cute in this movie. Um, in 64, also 64, she's with Peter Sellers in The World of Henry Orient. Uh, Orient? That's not right. Orient. What? It's it's Henry Orient. Oh, that's right. Okay. Um, and then in '65, uh, Otto Preminger's In Harm's Way with John Wayne. Uh, also '65, back with Peter Sellers, and Peter O'Toole in What's New Pussycat. That's one I didn't get to. I was gonna watch it, but I didn't get to it. And then, like Danny said, he mentions he and she. So it's a, I don't know if it's a one or two season thing on CBS she did with Richard Benjamin. They'd been married for five or six years at this point. And I watched an episode and it is, it's like, um, this is where like Mary Tyler Moore, Rhoda, like that kind of uh, late 60s, early 70s style of sitcom this is where that came from. It This is the original, and it's very, very good, and those two have such great chemistry. Um, but it, it only lasted for 26 episodes or something like that. Uh, in 1970, she's in Mike Nichols' Catch-22 with Alan Arkin and Mar- Marty Balsam and her husband, Richard Benjamin. Uh, and then in 70, she's in Stuart Rosenberg's Move. Now let's talk about that just briefly. Uh, so... I watched it. It was a really shitty cut on YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, like ripped straight from like somebody's 16 millimeter print. It looked like, oh, wow. um, but charming, very, you know, it's Elliot Gould in his prime and you're a huge fan of this one. Elliot, uh, Vinny, Elliot. I like that you just called me Elliot. I'm just going to go by that. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, this was, I was kind of late to that in my Elliot Gould, um, obsession. And because it's harder to see, like you said, I, I finally found out that uh, MGM did uh, on-demand DVDs. Oh, and shit. So, like, kind of like the Warner Archive. So they had their own little. And uh, I got it that way. And, um, yeah, it just it's this really weird, like, surreal comedy and the, the unreliable narrator kind of thing where he's, you know, he's a writer and he's just wandering around telling all these stories and. It's uh, when I watched, I'm like, oh, this is a really funny movie. It's got dogs in it and nudity and you know all that good stuff <laughs> you want. But then dogs like, and nudity it, and uh, Paula Prentice is just fantastic in it. She's just super charming and she's funny, and she there's like some scenes that have like real emotion with their marriage and things like that. And yeah, move move was a really great discovery for me a few years ago. And I'm a big fan of that one. I definitely recommend that. Yeah, it, it reminded me of... I actually have a poster behind me. You can kind of Oh, see yeah, it. I see. Yeah, Ellie Gould in the bottle. Cool. Um, I don't know why it... And they're not... They're similar in the fact that they're both kind of weird and they both take place in New York, but it reminded me of Little Murders. Mm-hmm. Sort of how, you know, you... It's... 
you have this interesting character played by Elliot Gould, and it's a very New York movie, but then all this other kind of weird, surreal stuff happens around him. And uh, so it really reminded me of that. I thought that'd be a, a really interesting, trippy double to do Move and Little Murders. Okay, uh, next year, 71, with Ivan Passer. She does Born to Win, which just came out from Fun City Editions with George Segal and Karen Black. Uh, great movie. We did we we talked a little bit about it, right, Vinny, on Two for the Road? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love Born to Win. Uh, 74 with Peter Boyle and Crazy Joe. That's another one I watched. And uh, for anyone like me who just knew Peter Boyle from uh what's the name of that stupid tv show he was on everybody loves raymond and then as wizard in taxi driver i didn't realize like this guy and i I came to the realization a few years ago but like he has such a fantastic filmography peter boyle does and he did so many great like kind of dirty old new york exploitation type of films paula prentice isn't in crazy joe very much but she's married to peter boyle in it and then uh 74 she does a parallax view with warren Beatty. uh and then in 1975 finally there's a bunch of cool movies i wanted to mention in 1975 we finally get to Kristen's pick which is what the stepford wives the and you hadn't seen this before right I had not. I had not seen. I had not seen any Paula Prentice movies before. Oh, really? Ashamed to say. Did you Did you watch any leading up to this? No, I just watched the two. Sorry. Uh, and but Vinny, you you had seen Stepford Wives. Yes. Okay. Uh, big fans of it, both of you. Uh, I mean, I liked it. Do you want me to describe it a little? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's uh, Separate Wives, 1975, directed by Brian Forbes, with a script by William Goldman based on the Ira Levin novel. Um, it stars Catherine Ross, who plays Joanna Eberhardt, a New Yorker who moves with her family, her husband, and two kids to Stepford, Connecticut. Um, and she makes friends with Paula Prentice, who's another New Yorker who recently moved there. And then they start to realize that all the women are super into housework. <laughs> Way more than you should be. Um, and as we, I mean, we already read Danny's little summary. So turns out they're, it's because they're robots, you guys. <laughs> They are indeed robots. I was not expecting that because I, I had seen the remake uh, whenever it came out. I didn't like it, but um, so I had completely forgotten about it. And so when <laughs> it's revealed that they are robots, I, up to that, I mean, they lead. There's something wrong with these uh, women or something different about these women, but you don't know what it is. And then. The reveal comes when Catherine Ross, like, out of nowhere, stabs Paula Prentice, and nothing happens, and she she sort of glitches. Paula Prentice does, and I, 
<laughs> I was in shock. I I'm I was out of the three of us since Vinny had already seen it. I was the only one that was in shock, but uh, uh, I loved this movie. Vinny, big fan of it. I'm a huge fan of this movie. It's uh my favorite Paula Prentice performance. Um, it's probably my favorite Catherine Ross performance, but I'm not a huge fan of Catherine Ross. So, but I think that she's actually pretty good in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like '70s uh, dystopian kind of movies are a sweet spot for me. So I, I yeah, huge fan of this film. And Kristen, what what were your you watched for the first time? What were your initial thoughts? Yeah, I I liked it. I was expecting it. So I'd heard about it for a while and then I heard about it a lot after when Get Out came out because Jordan Peele was referencing it a hmm. lot and I think I expected it to be more horror-y than it is. Um she like the the main character it's just like a chill like a curious vibe for most of it and then maybe the last 20 minutes is like freaky outy so I I wanted more of that. Huh. <laughs> I've always felt that it's it's like a satirical black comedy. But yeah. it's like but it's like really eerie. And it always gets remembered or referenced as like the sci-fi horror film. And I think that's kind of misleading on it. I think it's more of a black comedy with those little tinges of, you know, something amiss. I agree. And I, I wish it had more of that too. I just wish it had like gone in either of those directions more. Cause the bulk of it is a little bit more drama y, but like there's a lot of silly things in it that I just wanted them to like lean into more. Like there's, there's like three women who each have a thing that they like and then that's how you know that they're robots now is mm-hmm. they don't like that thing anymore and it's just like if you if the way it's presented like pretty as a straightforward drama like that's a very ridiculous thing to to just be defined by a thing that you like and so if it had like leaned more into that satire element I think that I would have accepted that more. <laughs> and th- there's just like a lot of questions about how how does this work? You know, we can talk about it later or if you want. But like, I, I would not ask all of these questions if it had like gone over the top a little bit more. I would have just been like, oh, yeah, this is a ridiculous thing. I... Well, they went, they went uh, with the broad comedy with the remake. Oh. And everyone hated it. <laughs> Plus, it has Nicole Kidman in it, so it's easily to hate. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, I saw it. Yeah, I, I looked at it more as a satirical thing, but I also looked at it as sort of a, um, a daytime horror type of movie, which we don't get very often. And I kept thinking of uh, Ari Aster's Midsummer, which you know is ultra popular and uh you know kind of goes against my you know i try to avoid talking about movies like that but i really love midsummer and i think it's fucking hysterical i i think that is a very dark satirical comedy all happening in sunlight 
And so when I was, I kind of got those vibes from Stepford Wives and I really, really dug that. But I also really love Ira Levin. You know, he wrote um, the novel for Rosemary's Baby and um, he co-wrote Bunny Lake is Missing and he wrote uh, Death Trap, wrote the play for Death Trap and the screenplay for the, the film version with Michael Caine. And uh, I, he is just one of my one of my favorite writers but he has such a unique style of comedy that is very um biting it's sometimes leans into mean-spirited um but you know i i like that because it, it it's not uh so mean-spirited that it completely turns you away or turns you off but it it it's got that edge. It's got this edge to it. And so I love his writing. And then, you know, William Goldman writing the screenplay for this. Um, you know, he fucking wrote everything, you know, Harper and uh, uh, Maverick and Marathon Man, the Hot Rock, uh, Butch Cassidy. I mean, you know, everything. Princess Bride. And so I those two combined, uh, I, I feel like Goldman maybe softened Levin a little bit. Has it, uh, Vinny, have you read the, the novel, Ira Levin's novel of Stepford Wives? I have not, no. Okay. So I really want to read it now because I feel like it would be a little even darker because I, I feel like William Goldman sort of may have softened it out a little bit. I agree. Um, but I'm with you. Uh, I do. I, I probably like Catherine Ross more than you. Vinny, but I also kept thinking one interesting double with the graduate this would be like she runs off with with Dustin Hoffman at the end of the graduate obviously it's not going to work out and so she ends up with Peter Masterson instead living in New York City and then they move to the they have a couple kids and they move to this place called Stepford in Connecticut and so I, I thought that was kind of funny. It's a, you know, what if, what if they were in the same universe? Mm. Um, but I thought the performances, all of them were really good. The doctor, uh, I can't even remember his Ike or I, I can't remember his character's name. Ike Mazard. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he like, you know, he hams it up. I feel like, and like leans into the creep a little bit. Um, and I love how the movie opens. We, we do open in New York city and they're in the car. They're pulling away from their brownstone and the kid in the back goes, daddy, I just saw a man carrying a naked lady. And then Peter Masterson says, that's why we're moving to Stepford. And that's how the movie starts. And, you know, it kind of clues you in like, okay, this, this guy is all about traditional values and, like once women in their place where he thinks their place is. Uh, so I really loved it. Uh, real quick, no Blu-ray. Any reason why? It seems perfect for Paramount Presents. Yeah, no Blu-ray, and it's only streaming on Tubi. Tubi, yeah. So. Do you have any insight into that, Vinny? I have no idea. I have the DVD. Is that the Anchor Bay one? Did Anchor Bay? Bay, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's really interesting why, uh, honestly, like with the Paramount Presents line, this seems like it's right up their alley. 
what else? Uh, oh, Kenneth McMillan shows up briefly as the grocery store manager. And uh, he always, uh, I don't know, I don't know why he always jumps out at me in movies because he's never starring in a movie, but um, you know he's in Taking of Pelham One Two Three, of course, probably his biggest role. So, um, but what other, Kristen? What other thoughts do you have about this? Uh, what What is it that was there something in particular that you didn't like, or is it you just wanted more of a particular thing? I just, uh, so I have a series of questions here I can read. I may not have even like considered these if I didn't know I was going <laughs> to, if we were going to be talking about this, you know, so, but, so, so what's happening is they're murdering women and replacing them with robots. I feel like I need more about why all these men are okay with this because we get like one scene where her husband comes home from the men's club and is a little teary eyed <laughs> then it's like that's it um and then did they move to stepford with this intent or did is that like where you go when you want to murder your wife and replace her with a robot or <laughs> or did he like go and then was somehow convinced of that because that seems even less likely um and then what are the economics of the situation because they're like oh we can all fire our maids because we have these robot wives now but it just seems like a robot wife has got to be more expensive than a maid for so. yet yeah, to maintain sure yeah those are some questions i had thoughts uh I, well, I, I always assumed they moved, that Peter Masters, Masterson had moved his family to Stepford f with the intent of this happening. Um, maybe that he didn't realize, like, what exactly was happening. He just, maybe he, he had heard about this community that was, you know, sort of this 1950s dreamland for men. And then when he, he goes to the men's club and comes home that night and he's like, he's like everything was revealed to him and, and you know he's sitting down there thinking holy shit what the fuck is this place uh i don't know if i want to do this but of course he he does because he's a disgusting man uh but i always assumed like that was the intent Vinny, am i wrong here i, I assumed that he they kind of just won him over like he gets there he sees all these men sort of with submissive wives and He's he's it's, you know, that that statement on women's liberation, you know, from the time when it was written and, and everything like that. It's I don't want her to be an equal. I want her to be a wife kind of mentality. And so he sees that when they go there and he's just trying to get out of the city. That's how I interpret it as is just a just a bad, bad uh, luck for Catherine Ross. But she drew the she him. drew the black marble, right? Yeah, is that right? Oh, <laughs> uh, I see what you did there. Yeah, the is it Ike that says he has the line like he's watching Catherine Ross do dishes or something? He's like, I like to watch women doing little domestic chores, and that's like yeah. a great example of of him like leaning into that part where it's so absurd that anyone would actually say that, but also just really gross <laughs> that somebody would actually say that a man would actually say that um 
But I love how that's all kind of juxtaposed with Catherine Ross and then Paula Prentice comes in here and she is so charming in this movie. Like her entrance, she's she's like, she's almost prancing through a, a field <laughs> of like, you know, waist high grass and she approaches Catherine Ross and she, you know, they're out in the sunlight and, you know, she says, are you uh, Joanna Everhart? And um, and then they develop this friendship. And so you have these two women who are trying to, like, keep alive women's lib in this, like, they obviously see something is very wrong here. And then they get, they get the women together and one of them, like, they invite this woman at the tennis club and she's like, oh, like a bitch session or something like that. And it's like, God, well, no, we, you know, um, but I love how. Paula Prentice and Catherine Ross uh, are, are sort of the ideal modern woman compared to this, these, you know, 1950s housewives, these Donna Reeds and the way the, these men want these women to be. And uh, I, I really appreciated how uh, they just kind of compared to each other how they stood out. And then, you know, I think that it makes it all the more devastating when they finally do get to Bobby, Marco, um, Paula Prentice's character. Now, here's a question I have. So they have their, they create these like Android versions of these women. And so they just kill the real women and just dump the bodies Apparently the William Goldman had an original ending where the Joanna robot killed the other Joanna, the real Joanna. <laughs> but then the director was not into that. <laughs> so he rewrote it. But, I mean, I don't know. I'd be interested. In that. That's what I'm saying. I have all these questions. There's like a mass grave of, of wives in Stepford. An incinerator of some sorts at there the men's go. club. <laughs> Um, there's a line when they're speaking of the tennis club where Bobby Marco, Paula Prince's character, she's talking to the woman they're playing tennis with and the, the woman says like, all I got left are two teenage boys with erections. And then Paula goes, uh, <laughs> send them to my place. And it, it was a little, <laughs> uh, gross. <laughs> But very, very funny, and I thought it was a good um, sort of example of her comedy, of Paula's specific type of comedy. It's very unique. Um, I feel like she, like her acting style, especially her comedy, like borders on realism, because you know she she talks over people. A lot of times it, it's like, you know, she's almost breaking the fourth wall. Uh, you see her roll her eyes, not intentionally. That's just kind of how her her face is like when she's looking away or whatever. But I love how, you know, I guess just charming she is and, and how um, into these characters she is, but not taking it too seriously. I don't know if that makes any sense. You could just tell like how fun she has when she's <laughs> when she's making these movies. I agree. She's 
she's charming. And in this movie, she she kind of reminded me of Gina Davis a little bit. Maybe just because she's also tall, but yeah. <laughs> she she had that like joyful vibe. I I was thinking that on our second movie today when I was watching that. She kind of has, they also sort of look alike. Um, I think the scariest thing about the Stepford Wives for me is uh, Catherine Ross has this monologue when when she goes to see the psychiatrist who is also a, I assume the psychiatrist is a normal woman, yes? Yeah, I think that she like, they they made it clear she was going to go out of town or something. Okay, yeah, so she's not even... her own psychiatrist. Yeah, and yeah, she like gets down on her knees and says like, run, get the hell away from there. Um, But it's this like impassioned... Uh, Joanna is a photographer, and so like her art, she wants to be able to create. She wants to be able to do her art and, you know... Uh, put on shows at galleries and stuff and and like let her imagination you know sometimes control her life instead of her husband or any man for that for that uh for that matter but she says she has this line she says i i guess i just want to be remembered and like it god it killed me because it got down to sort of the the seriousness of it because up to this point it's been you know, uh, funny. It's been absurd. It's been ridiculous mixed with this sort of daytime horror thing. Um, and so I started thinking about the scariest thing that I can imagine in life is having one's imagination and creativity removed from their life. So imagine that we we're forced to remove our creativity to we were forced to remove our imaginations and we couldn't be our creative selves. And to me, that is the scariest thing. And I, you know, I think that's one of the themes of the, maybe like a sub theme of Levin's uh, book. But to me that, and that scene in the psychiatrist's office uh, was so sad and so scary um thoughts on that anyone no you guys are dead inside that's great um i'm definitely dead inside no i i think it's it's more of the creating a class system within the home and treating women as second class citizens like it's it's really terrifying especially in today's climate where the same ideologies come to head where that's the dream of these men is to take away your spouse's individuality and freedom and their thoughts and preferences and personality and rights so that you can have a cleaner house yeah and it's like it's it's extra scary i guess that that's like presumably these are the people (laughs) these men love most uh question mark and (laughs) and they're just like totally cool with killing them which then you know brings up the question of like 
how do they treat other people? And I just want to mention that Stepford is an extremely white, upper-class town, and that's, like, also a critique of the second-wave feminism movement that is, like, a white, upper-class women. So I just, if I think it can't, I think having been made in 1975, it can't have that extra level of satire that I'm seeing it of, like, <laughs> like yes, I don't know, men are terrible, but also this movement isn't encompassing everyone you think it is or whatever. Um, yeah. The other thing, I mean, the other thing that's kind of, like... I think it's supposed to, be, I don't know if it's supposed to be funny, but like, you know, at some point they, they start, there's all these scenes of them like driving past like tech companies basically. And then they're like, oh, are they putting something in the water? There's like, there's all these science companies and Paula Prentice's character is like, oh, maybe they're putting something in the water. And so there's like this tech phobia, which is like, I don't know if that's supposed to be a ridiculous part, but then you're like, well, there are like now we have all these men controlling <laughs> technology and it's not going great, honestly. So <laughs> that's like that's something that kind of is a lot true. of the a lot of the far fetched uh, science fiction uh, storylines from the 70s are sadly coming true 40, 50 years later. <laughs> it's the yeah crazy billionaires the environmental like the environmentalist issues the overpopulation people not believing in science those kind of things and uh yeah I, I think that it's a lot of the small jokes in the movie don't age very well because it's you know worried about oh there's something in the water that was like an actual like storyline in the news for like in the 70s i mean and in flint michigan but uh especially in the 70s it's well all these new companies are coming around well, what's the environmental impact of having all these new technologies that are coming about and this is you think that that's it's kind of like a red herring where it's like oh maybe it is something going on with these things like oh no wait these companies are all working together to make fake women Uh, I, to be superficial, did, Obviously. did the men also look at these like perfect wives as sex objects or, or strictly for like housework and cooking and well, they, Paul Apprentice gets larger breasts. Uh, Catherine Ross gets like, well, yeah, she, yeah, she has bigger breasts. boobs yeah. at the end. That's yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. Like they make comments about, oh, it's he likes it better this way, kind of thing. Yeah, so that's true. I would assume that that sex is involved. Why don't we see more of that? Did you want more of that, Kristen? Is that what you're that's after? The director's cut. You gotta. That's the director's. Come on, Paramount. Yeah. <laughs> robot sex. Yeah, the robot. I think the robot should have killed Joanne with the larger boobs. Yes. Yeah. That's my cut. Like an Austin Powers type of thing where the like a smothering situation. Oh, smothering. smothering. Wow. Yeah, I think smothering. <laughs> smothering. That's where we're going with this. Smothering. Okay. Uh, yeah. I do. I, I for one, uh, appreciate a cynical ending. And so the ending to this um, 
you know, I'm glad there's not a quote happy ending. Um, well, for I, the men, it is <laughs> true. It's the happiest of they endings. Win. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I like, I like a movie that you know, kind of says, uh, "Oh no, we're fucked." This is what you get. Uh, and I, I like the element of the of it being almost like a cult, like the men's club, where you look at like films from like the fifties and sixties about like satanic cults. And it, it reminded me a lot of those where it's, you know, all these people are crazy. These people are crazy. And then it's like, Oh no, wait, they win in the end. Like this group of people that's clearly doing something morally wrong and wrong for humanity, get away with it. And you don't know for how long, but they get away with it. The, uh, the main characters are all, eliminated and become these robots and sadly like that would probably be the real ending you know if and or when this actually happens now the military would take over oh good great yeah they would i'm happy about that all right any other thoughts on the stepford wives i'm i'm really down right now i need to i just want to point out one thing that every time i see this movie i think is very funny is Paula Prentice is a very tall woman and Catherine Ross is average height, quote unquote, average height woman. But when they're next to each other, it almost makes Catherine Ross look like a child. And I always <laughs> find that image very funny because there it's just something about her, her build next to Paula Prentice where it's, it seems like a mother and a child. And every time I watch it, I, I find it very funny when they're talking and I've, it's not even that she's not even that tall. She's five ten, which is tall, but it's not like, you know, like freakishly tall or anything like that. But it's it is one of those like images that always sticks with me is the two of them standing next to each other. That's funny. Uh, s- something else I love about Paula her Texas accent. She never tried to hide it. It was just always part of, you know, they never kind of you know made her a Southern woman or anything. But it just came through and oh man i just it was so adorable uh listening to her talk also the doctor that they go to about the water remember his name raymond chandler oh right i forgot (laughs) i forgot about that weird thing where i was like are they trying to oh they are trying to (laughs) yeah that's what i'm saying lean into it more right maybe i'm just Slim, but I well I I, I kind of like those uh, well as we get in you know we'll get into the next movie here but kind of off-brand comedy where you don't know if you're supposed to laugh or not or like what is that Raymond Chandler really uh, and then it's you know dealing with this serious subject matter he's not like some bumbling doctor or anything um, all right any other Thoughts on Sephir Wise before we move on? Nope. Plum out. Plum out. Okay, so after Sephir Wise, she does, uh, Paulo, that is, does uh, four, I think four, like, TV movies, made-for-TV movies. And then in 1980, we get to my pick. And this has been on my watch list for a very, very long time. So uh, talking about the Black Marble and... I first heard of this when I first started um, thinking about neon badges and neon badges is a podcast that I used to do. And 
um, it's it's going to be this um, column that I'm writing at uh, at this movie. By the time this comes up, uh, the column will have started. But um, I'm obsessed with 80s cop movies, all types of 80s cop movies. And so like in, in my first article, I'm doing this primer for F this movie about neon badges and and I give off like 10 essential, I name off 10 essential 80s cop movies. And so you get stuff like Cobra, Die Hard, uh, but like Prince of the City, Extreme Prejudice, um, Naked Gun, uh, like 10 80s cop movies that, that sort of uh, define or encompass the that very specific subgenre of movies of the 1980s I don't know what it is I don't know why I'm obsessed with it but I am and so I I have this like master list of all the movies dealing with law enforcement officers that were released between 1980 and 1989 from all over the world and the black marble is on that list and when I made that list three four years ago the black marble was only on VHS and so my friend Rob found a copy and he bought it for me and uh, I popped it in the, v- uh, the, the VCR and it lasted about half an hour. <laughs> so I, before the tape, just like uh, it, the VCR didn't eat it, but it just went super fuzzy and you couldn't see shit. The tracking could not keep up. Um, so it's a very beat up copy. And so for the longest time, like VHS, it wasn't even streaming. You couldn't rent it, anything. It wasn't on YouTube. I couldn't find it anywhere. And so I had seen, so this was like my white whale. And then last year, out of nowhere, Kino announces they're putting out a Blu-ray with a commentary and everything of the Black Marble, a new scan. And I was like, oh my God. God, this is like, this is a miracle. And so I got it, uh, I pre-ordered it, got it, and I watched it for the first time from start to finish this morning. I waited. And uh, it's, uh, boy, is it a weird film. (laughs) Before we go any further, Stepford Wives, is it a Paul thumbs up or or what are we saying? Thumbs Paul up Paul, or thumbs thumbs Paul up or thumbs Paul down? There we go. Is it a thumbs Paul up or down? Thumbs Paul up. Yeah, Paul up for me. Yeah, thumbs Paul up definitely. Um, while we're here, the black marble. Thumbs Paul up or thumbs Paul down? Thumbs Paul up. Vinny. Ah, uh, somewhere <laughs> in between. Thumbs Paul sideways, okay. Yeah, Paul sideways. Uh, we'll circle back to you to see if you're... Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we'll try to... I liked it. Changed. He liked I, it. I liked it. I would say I'm leaning more towards Paul up than Paul down. Okay. I say thumbs Paul up. I had my issues. It's a... Yeah. This is... It's... God, this is a weird fucking movie. Um, it's directed by Harold Becker, who uh, he, he's teaming up with um, Joseph Wamba, the you know the cop book writer author uh so this is their second time they they've teamed up they did the onion field together um and then it stars robert foxworth as andre valnikoff and foxworth is in i know him from damien omen 2 
and apparently he does the voice of Ratchet in all the new Transformer movies, which I've never seen. But uh, And then Paula plays Natalie Zimmerman, and they are partners, uh, reluctant, reluctantly, she becomes his partner. And then Harry Dean Stanton plays our, you know, sort of bad guy in this. His name is the greatest, the greatest name. Philo Skinner is his name. And so um, Foxworth is like a middle-aged detective. He's like having a midlife crisis, basically. He has a, he's an alcoholic. Um, his partner, he, he gets this new partner with Paula Prentice. And, uh, you know, it. they develop a romance, which like was not it. That's that's my least favorite part of the whole movie, that romantic aspect. Um, but they are working burglary. And one of the cases they get assigned to is the somebody's dog is stolen. And as they learn more about the case, it turns out someone's dog is being held for ransom. And like, God, this movie... I'm super curious to read the book. I read my first Wamba earlier this year. I read The New Centurions, which is an incredible book. I haven't seen the movie, but the book is oh, amazing. The movie's so good. Yeah. I have that poster right there, too. Oh, sweet. Um, and so uh, Joseph Wamba, he knows L.A. cops because he was an L.A. cop for a long, long time. And so, uh, but God, this movie like i said i want to read the book because the movie is really really strange and it's sort of you know it just goes all over the place there's too much happening i feel like in my opinion i still liked it but there's so much going on like i said the romantic aspect of it i i didn't care about at all uh which is usually the case in you know crime based movies i i could care less about romance um and i don't buy robert foxworth and paula prentice as a couple so uh let me get let, Kristen. we'll start with you let me get your initial thoughts on the black marble i had no idea what to expect i i i mean you got harry dean stanton so it's already a plus <laughs> there but i like these weird movies where there's a lot of characters and i don't know what's gonna happen because of that or it's not like forecasting what kind of movie it is i was a little nervous at the beginning because the opening scene is like like he what's his name Valnikov. Valnikov super drunk at a church and then he like comes out and like somehow uh handcuffs his penis or something i don't know and i was like what is this, <laughs> is this it starts off very very broad ridiculous yeah. comedy movie and then it was fine after that so i don't know what was up with that dumb first scene but but then i liked it after that when harry dean stanton showed up and did his um shadiness it actually reminded me of another movie have you seen euphoria spelled u-f-o-r-i-a it's a, also has harry dean stanton oh, nice. it's another i feel i think it's 
81. So okay. Black Marvel is 80. I feel like they don't make movies like that anymore where there's just a bunch of characters and also one of them is Harry Dean Stanton, I guess. And they're just, uh, I don't know, they're just hanging out. They're around and you like watch to see how they interact. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, good stuff. Uh, so I, I like having no expectations of this movie i was like i was like watching it in the middle of the day and i was like yeah sure i'll hang out with these people sure. yeah uh Vinny, thoughts on the movie yeah uh like you this this one was in my watch list for a very long time um i don't know why it was in my watch list <laughs> but i it's it's one of those movies that like i when it came out on sale i'm like oh yeah I, i've been wanting to watch that one no idea what it was going to be about um it's all over the place. And I think that it honestly, I think it would work better if it wasn't a comedy. Cause I think the times when it's trying to be funny is right after a scene where, you know, a dog gets mutilated <laughs> and then there's like, Oh, well this part's going to be funny. Watch this. Right. Like, it, but it's like tone. And then there's like the romance. Yeah, I agree. I think it'd be I better like without you, the It should have just been, and then there's like the Russian stuff, which I found very weird. Like how much of his life is based on his Russian traditions, like, yeah. like traditions, but like it's 1980 and he's born in America, but he doesn't, he doesn't like do American. Like he only eats Russian food. He only listens to Russian music. He only, you know, he goes to Russian clubs and things like that. And I thought that was a little odd and he doesn't come off as Russian at all. And no, I didn't yeah. think he was he was that great, honestly. I I had never seen anything with him in it before. Fox, Robert Foxworth. Yeah I, yeah, I don't know if I well Damian in Norman the first too. scene I thought it was Seymour Cassell, and I got really excited. Yeah, and then I was very disappointed. <laughs> I just saw a guy with a mustache. Like, oh wait, is he in this? And then no, it wasn't. Um, but yeah, it's 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 all over the place, and I don't think any of the, barely any of the comedy works, with a few exceptions of. Um, Paul Apprentice trying to not be his partner anymore when she's talking about how he's nuts and they're trying to say, give me an example kind of thing. And she, she keeps stammering over herself like that scene's pretty funny. But yeah. for the most part, I think a lot of the comedy just kind of falls flat or it goes too dark. Yeah. I think uh, the only, I, I agree. The only time the comedy works is with her. Um mm -hmm. And it, it's such a weird opening. It's we don't get credits until ten minutes in, like ten minutes and some seconds. So like it, it it's a it's a cold open with Foxworth playing Valnikov at this you know uh, Russian Orthodox church, and he's completely wasted and he's like audibly burping, and like the old lady next to him, she, you know, she's like, "Stop it, be quiet." And like it's supposed, to, it's played for comedy, and I didn't. Uh, I I'm with like. I didn't know this was gonna be like a naked gun level type of spoof almost, right? That that's how I thought it was gonna be based on this, and he, and then he stumbles outside and he collapses and takes his handcuffs out and somehow pinches his, what, his dick in the, the handcuffs. There is. <laughs> Seems that, impossible. Uh, yeah, like. He just puts it in his pants and then goes, oh, <laughs> like yeah. I don't know what would have happened there. I don't know. Good for him, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 
how big are we talking them about? out and they're just together they're just, i don't know right what the, yeah 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 what happened uh yeah and then and then we get as what you know happens in several 80s cop movies uh, especially the ones that take place in los angeles we get an aerial shot from a helicopter of the freeway system and then we get the title card the black marble good logo by the way i i love a good logo the black marble logo is really great uh and then you get the the casting and god the movie just like does not go where you think it's gonna go and it's so um not meandering it's like rambling the movie rambles on and it doesn't it's like when i talk and i kind of don't know what exactly i'm saying or where i'm going when i'm talking all the time like i'm doing right now uh this is the movie that's the black marble and i'm wondering that's why i'm super curious about the the novel because i can't imagine wamba's novel is this random because i mean you know based on reading the new centurions it's quite straightforward i i have to assume his stories are quite straightforward so i wonder what the hell becker and the editor were thinking here uh the other thing is this is shot by owen roisman which is very impressive um and you know he's you know worked with friedkin a lot uh but it the I, i'm with you guys the comedy does not work like there's there's um so he goes to see uh uh what's a barbara badcock plays the woman whose dog the schnauzer bitch they say that a lot and i cannot take that seriously when someone keeps saying schnauzer bitch um so he goes and talks to her and she's in hysterics of course and he sits next to her and hugs her and does what cops aren't supposed to do guarantees that he's going to solve the case and that he's going to get her dog back and so she's crying in his his arms and he's rocking back and forth and what does he say he says i'll find your doggy. i'll find your doggy and then she goes oh sergeant I'll find your doggy. Oh, sergeant. Like four or five times. And I'm thinking, what What are we doing here? Is this supposed to be funny? Like, I am not taking this seriously. Um, and, like, if it's supposed to be funny, the joke has gone on way too long. Because, like, the camera slowly backs out and they're still, I'll find your doggy. Oh, sergeant. I'll find your doggy. Oh, sergeant. Oh, my God. It's just, it's painful. Uh, don't get me wrong. I still gave this three and a half stars on Letterboxd. I liked it that much, but there are some extremely painful moments in this movie. Uh, the other one is, uh, speaking of rambling, I'm jumping way towards the end here, but when Valnikov is chasing Skinner through the kennel, but they're climbing fences, Right. It going over fences to each kennel. Why? I don't understand. I actually thought that part was pretty funny. Except for him killing a dog. I thought that. that <laughs> yeah, unloading crazy. his freaking revolver into this Great Dane or whatever the hell that was. Like, just killing the shit out of this dog. It was ridiculous. Um, But, 
my question is, why didn't he just open the the gate door in any one of these kennels that he was climbing into? I was wondering why he didn't. Yeah, I don't know if the, I don't know if they're locked from the inside too. I was wondering why he didn't climb over the front and then get the keys that were left in the thing, but I have to assume it's because for comedy <laughs> or they should have they should, all they needed was like a, a shot from the front from the other side, like a right. little wall yeah. <laughs> so that they couldn't do that and then you'd be like okay, but I don't know. I, don't I feel know. like I feel like a lot of the comedy in it is based on the fact that he's not a good cop. <laughs> True. Or he's like, he's not a very good detective, but he doesn't really do any police, like much po- actual police work. Like no. he finds Harry Dean Stan on, he was going on a different hunch of like, he accidentally finds the, the perpetrator and Harry Dean Stan doesn't even realize that he's a cop. He thinks that he's there to collect that from him. That is a funny so like, moment with, with Harry like, Dean. I think that there, a lot of the humor on based around his character was like, he's like this bumbling cop, but we don't get enough of him doing police work to see that. We mostly see him being um, drunk in the first or in like, kind of like just rambling, like not really being able to hold a conversation with Paul apprentice. And then all of a sudden they fall in love somehow. And, and then he accidentally finds the bad guy kind of thing. So I think I think there's like a section missing in there where we're supposed to uh, like feel something for the character. And I just it just never clicked for me. Like I just I didn't I didn't buy him as a cop. I didn't he didn't do enough police work besides, you know, having sex with the lady with the dog. Like that's pretty much all he did right. in terms of police work. I, I I don't like I said, I don't buy Natalie um falling for Valnikov at all because this she meets him and he's you know, he's coming off some long ass bender and like the first time they're driving around together, you know, she says, uh, all right, let's get the um, you know, let's get the introductions out of the way here. And, and again, that moment is funny to me. You know, it's, it's that, um, comedy of errors where one person, you know, each thinks they're talking about something different or they don't understand what the other is saying. Uh, but it's all because of Paula. It's because she's there. It's the way she's playing it because she's, she doesn't, her character does not want to be in that car with this drunk clearly like still drunk dude and and i i do find that moment funny like she uh he keeps talking about his his um uh his pets his bird and his gerbil and he so he's trying to explain to her and she thinks he's talking about kids and uh so they they finally get it cleared up and he goes uh didn't I say that they were animals? And then like so over the top, she goes, no, you didn't. You really didn't. And again, it was like this. Is this supposed to be a comedy movie or not? Because the way she says it is re- like it got an audible laugh from me. It was super funny, but it's her. It's not him. He's not funny at all. Um, 
and I, I'm with you, Vinny. Like I, I do not buy him as a cop. And if that's, if, if the whole point is that he's a bad cop, then lean more into that. Hmm. Um, because, you know, I, I was reading the IMDB synopsis. Nope, that's not what I want. And it is not. It just says a romantic comedy which explores the pressures on police officers. That that is not what this movie is. Right? No. I mean, I guess it, there is like a conversation about his backstory on homicide. Oh my god. But I don't know. Yeah, look, but like I was saying, he's like, it's you see him go to his brother's restaurant, you see him in a church, you see them at a rest at a restaurant, you see them um listening to James Woods play violin and you like but you don't really see the police aspect of it. She is trying to just be a good cop. And like that dynamic between the two of them is there for like two scenes and then all of a sudden she's in, she gets jealous of uh the the pet owner like she goes oh i i know that you were with her kind of thing like odd like suddenly she's like this jealous woman like oh how could she have you and i couldn't but i think it just comes out of nowhere and i don't think that's earned at all and uh i, I do like a there are a lot of scenes that i like and i like a lot of the harry dean stanton stuff but i feel like it's like three or four different movies sort of you take the okay parts from a bunch of different movies and put them all together and you just have an okay movie. Do you guys have a favorite Harry Dean performance? Of all time? Of all time. That Paris isn't Texas. the Black Marble because it's obviously the Black Marble. I'm sorry, what'd you say, Vinny? Paris, Texas is... is oh, okay. I, I, can't, I can't pick a Harry Dean. Can't pick a Harry but Dean. But I, I do think he's carrying a lot of the stars that i would give this movie yeah is due to him being in all, it. all of the and, stuff him at the dog show is pretty great and being desperate like a mm-hmm. desperate harry dean yeah that's great i think the best scene in this is not a funny scene it's a very like serious scene it's when it's when he does cut the dog's ear off um because clearly this man this uh, uh, what's his name Skinner like he loves dogs he shows dogs he's a trainer right for his rich owners and so he takes them around to dog shows and he he shows them and uh, he loves he clearly loves dogs and he doesn't want to hurt them yet he chops an ear off and he ends up unloading his revolver in another but so he cuts the ear off this dog and Barbara Badcock is, you know, he's demanding $80,000, right? Is it 80000 I think it's 80000 And she only has twenty, and he's getting frustrated because the pressure's on him. He's He's got this enormous gambling debt. And so out of desperation, Snip, the, the dog's ear comes off, and you can hear it yelp, and that's, like, heartbreaking already. Um, but she... On the other line, on the other end of the line, she's screaming and she's slamming the phone on the arm of the couch, and it's and Harry Dean is like, uh, you you could see Skinner's just like 
what did I just, why did I do this? I can't, this is not who I am. And like the pressure is mounting on him. And it's an incredibly powerful moment. And then, like you were saying, Vinny, like it's, it's then we cut to some stupid ass trying to be funny scene. And it's, it's this incredibly powerful moment. And we see how this movie could be. Uh, but it doesn't want to be that. This movie doesn't know what it wants to be, I, th- I think. I, and I think that all goes back to Becker. This movie does not know what it wants to be uh, because you have, uh, you know, Wamba with his story, his script, um, and, you know, Becker comes in and tries to do you know, create this unique thing. Now, something I want to talk about, the the Russian thing. There's there's a theme that goes unexplored, uh, as many themes in this movie go unexplored, but this thing with um, tradition, like family values. And I always like it when movies or books explore that, how people in present day or modern age struggle with trying to keep alive, you know, family traditions or, or traditions of whatever, their lineage, whatever. Um, and so we have that that is not explored at all. It's just briefly touched upon. But you have this Russian thing. They go into his brother's restaurant. And they, they go and, and uh, James Woods is playing the fiddle for them. They're eating the borscht and the cabbage rolls and everything. And, it you know, there's a lot of Russia, Russia, Russia in this. And this is, you know, in the middle of the Cold War, and there are several uh, cop movies of the 80s, or even just crime movies of the 80s, that deal with Russia, and how either one, Russia is the bad guy, or uh, there are Russians in America trying to be you know america is their new home but they're struggling with their russian heritage and so you have stuff like gorky park that takes place in russia uh you have uh oh god what's that stupid clint eastwood pilot movie any with shave blues <laughs> yes that's the one <laughs> no I'm just kidding. uh firefox where Russia's the big bad guy uh that's a mess of a movie by the way um uh, uh, raw, no, 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 Red Heat. <laughs> you know, that's a ridiculous movie, super fun. But you know, uh, Arnold is this Russian operative, uh, and so lots and lots of movies around this time period are dealing with Russia and struggling. You know, either calling Russia the big bad or having Russian people struggle with their heritage there. And so I think that's interesting. Um, to think about, but again, it's, they don't really gloss over it because there's a lot of it in the movie, but it goes nowhere. We don't, it's just surface level. You know, I have, you know, Russian relatives. I'm from Russia. I have a Russian name. I eat Russian food. I go to a Russian church, but that's it. And, uh, uh, you know, again, I, it's, it's just, saying this movie starts saying a lot of things but doesn't finish saying what it wants to say yeah it almost uses the just the russianness as like another way 
It's it's kind of like a a kink for Paul Apprentice's character, or like a way to show that that Volnikov's like sensitive because he like likes art or something, or he, he like listens to Russian music. And it's a, it, it's used in this weird shorthand that I don't really understand. I think it would have worked better if if he was a better actor first, but uh, if he was like a a more uh, diverse, like a different ethnicity, I think that would have worked better. But the fact that they chose Russian is is a weird choice, especially like you were saying with the being 1980, like it's, you know, Cold War is very tense at that time. And it's just, it does a lot to try to make you care about his Russian heritage. And I just don't think it works at all. But if it were like something like if he were like a, a different race or something like that, I think maybe that would have been a more appealing thing to do. Like, like this is my culture kind of thing. But I don't think that the Russian culture translates because he just talks about it's like very stereotypical. It's like he eats borscht like, oh, I eat borscht like and like, oh, and we drink vodka, like things like that. Like that's it's very <laughs> like. But Very he's like, oh yeah, this is Russian vodka. And then she's like, do you have Russian vodka at your house? And he's like, yeah. And then he pulls out a bottle of Stalikna. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a very rare vodka. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very surface level uh, Russian heritage. And they make a big deal out of it. And I just I felt it didn't work. I felt most of the romance stuff didn't work very well. Yeah. Because she's too good for him. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing I thought was funny is... Uh, or not funny, interesting slash weird slash bad is how the captain. So this is 1980. Keep that in mind. 1980. It wasn't until 1982 with 48 hours that we get the stereotypical loud, mean, screaming police captain. So here in the black marble, the police captain is this like spineless twit that uh, is you know he he's a white guy that sits behind the desk and he can't give a straight answer because he wants to please everybody and he's scared of everything. But Valnikov's former partner, I assume they're former partners, this big black dude uh, who keeps referring, like saying, like uh, what's he called? The potato juice? Did you you know did you drink a lot of the potato juice last night or something like that? Um. He is sort of like the stand-in brash captain. And so, uh, again, it's comedy that doesn't land uh, because it's not um, it's not defined very well. We don't know if it's supposed to be funny because uh, he's always in the captain's office and he's the one ending up answering questions Um so, so I, I thought that was a weird dynamic. Um, but also as a, you know, um, self-described historian of the 80s cop movie, I thought it was really interesting that this is before we get that cliche loudmouth mean captain. Instead, we have this spineless guy and another detective who's the the big loudmouth guy. So you know, another very weird thing that the movie didn't know what it wanted to do with that. Yeah. It's like, it's like a joke where you go, Oh, that's kind of funny, but you don't actually laugh. At it. 
I don't know. They needed a a couple more passes at this script or something. <laughs> I agree. I think it should have been more like a dark comedy with more Harry Dean Stanton. Like his yeah. his like desperation scenes are are very like they're funny and they're entertaining and I think he does a really good job with it and I just think it kind of just goes off the rails a little bit and need, needed more structure. Yeah, agreed. Um, any other thought? Oh, real quick, Michael Dudikoff shows up for a real brief scene, starts digging up a dead dog in his first movie. Uh, Anne Ramsey. Is in here for a... I like the Anne Ramsey scene a lot. I thought yeah, that was pretty too. funny. That was a, a really funny thing. And how, how she says, uh, don't you spit your goobers on my property. Uh, yeah, she's very funny. And then brings out the freaking fire hose and just hoses Harry Dean inside the phone booth. Very funny. Uh, we mentioned James Woods just randomly as the fiddler. I guess Christopher Lloyd was in here somewhere. I didn't see him. He's the he was... first. Yeah, the first guy looking for the money. The debt collector. He's kind of in the dark. With the with the so. with the big paper. Yeah. Oh shit. Okay. Interesting. You don't see his face until he he walks away. Walks away. Right. Christopher Lloyd. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, and then Marilyn Chris from the Honeymoon Killers. I just wanted to bring her up because she we just recently talked about her. Um, is also in this briefly. It's a, uh, it's a good movie. I think it's um, it's worth a watch just to see how messy it is uh I, and harry dean's pretty good harry dean is really good at yeah it. He, he's i mean but he's never bad true so that's that's kind of a cop out true yeah <laughs> to say that he's good in it uh but you get to see him yes. do acting so yes. watch it that's true <laughs> watch it for that worth the price of admission that's true uh okay so a definite still a definite thumbs paul up from me Thumbs Paul up. Got to pick one I mean, or the other. There's only two options, so yeah, Paul up. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Got no spares on this one. <laughs> That's right. Uh, did you? Can I ask uh, about the the black marble? They get that from like a someone they're interrogating who's like, I guess I always pick the black marble, but is that referring to something else, like in the game of marbles or something? I don't know what that means. I, I, yeah, I Googled it and like it didn't show up anywhere like as a, you know, urban dictionary type of thing. Uh, as far as I could tell, it was just that was something they called it in the movie. Okay. You know, uh, you're drawing the short straw, you're um, unlucky, sure. you know. Uh, but as far as I could find, you know, and I, I only went two pages deep on Google, but uh, it, it, it was just about from the movie, so. Um, okay, so Paula, the other, her last movie she does, and she's still alive, her and Richard Benjamin, still alive, still married, but the last movie she does is, is, what's the, we are, um, the pretty, what the fuck is that called? The pretty thing that lives in the house? It's the Oz Perkins movie. What the hell's the name of that? Uh, I'm looking it up right now. I am. I am the. Yep. Yeah. The pretty thing that lives in the house. Um, good. It's very Oz Perkins. It's moody. It's dark. It's weird. Uh, and she doesn't say anything. I don't think. I think she's mute in the whole movie. Um, 
and she's really scary looking. Looks like a like an old witch. Uh, Paula is, but gosh, she is. You know, it's a wonder why she didn't. Maybe it was a personal choice that she didn't appear in more stuff. Um, she she fell victim to uh, what a lot of female actors fall victim to is that they have children, and they are forced to make that decision of you know what, what gender roles in this country are, and you know what happens to a lot of them is they reach a certain age, they have children, and they stop acting to raise their children, um, unfortunately, and were deprived of their talents in the meantime. Yeah. So yeah, they had a bunch of kids and she decided to raise them. Well, good for her. Um, I would have liked to see more movies from her. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's, she's something, you know, um, so unique, one of a kind and, uh, watch, watch as many movies of hers as you can. Uh, I, I still say, um, Man's favorite sport is my favorite of hers. It's so good. I highly, highly recommend you guys watch that. Okay, that's it. That's what we got. Uh, social medias, where can we find you, Vinny? Oh, God. Uh, I wasn't ready. You can find me on Twitter at Vinny, but better. Uh, and my YouTube page is now live. It's in real life, I-R-L, and real spelled R-E-E-L, like a film reel. It's clever. And it's good. You got two two up so far? Is it two or three? Three. Three. They're good. Right now. Yes. Yeah. three. They're good. I like them. Just started last week. So. Great great work. Great work. Uh, and Kristen? I'm on Twitter at snail with an E on the end. S-N-A-I-L-E. Um, and I'm on Instagram at cinema snail with an E on the end. Vinny, do you have more to say? No. I always have more to say. Oh, you do? No, I don't. Okay. Don't uh, put me on the spot like that. I have nothing to say. <laughs> All right, Vinny, take it away. No, I'm joking. Uh, you can find this show on Twitter and Instagram at Cole Movies Pod. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at AK Donnelly, A-K-D-O-N-E-L-L-Y. Uh, we'll do another one of these maybe in the summer. I don't know. I'm getting towards the end of the season. Getting real tired. Uh, but we'll meet up again and it'll be Kristen, right? You get a pick next. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, so we'll do another one here in, in, uh, I don't know, a couple months or something. In the meantime, next week we have Lindsay Wilkins coming back and she's going to talk John Garfield and force of evil. Anyone coming back for that? Probably. I will be. You will be. Okay. Sunday, day off. Day off, alright. Como não tá mais apaixonada? Agora já não entendo mais nada. Tu quer me encontrar na pessoa errada. Suas amigas, amiga, indo da minha casa. Não pode negar, mas lembro que você prometeu. Esqueceu tudo que vai voltar.